Hi everyone, welcome again to our podcast, Don't Blame the CRM. My name is Mikko, I'm one of the co-founders and product manager at Vainu. And today I have a guest from Denmark, uh, Lotte, who's working as one of the partners at a company called Helion B2B. Welcome to the show, Lotte. Thank you so much. Yeah, so uh, I'm Lotte and I'm a co-founder and partner at Helion B2B and my everyday work is to lead our uh, SaaS companies. So I'm in charge of all the SaaS clients that we have that usually works on HubSpot. Yeah. So HubSpot will definitely be one of the topics we focus on today. And you said B2B SaaS. So that's one of your focus focus areas or ICP, so to speak. Yeah. So in Helion, we have two different ICPs. So we have like production companies and then we have SaaS companies. And I'm in charge of working with all the SaaS companies. So we've been working with uh, quite a bit SaaS companies over the years and uh, quite excited to be here to discuss uh, SaaS and HubSpot uh, and also data management in the CRM because that's a crucial part of succeeding as a SaaS company today. Yeah. And how, how how much of an experience do you have working with HubSpot? I mean, HubSpot has been around quite some time, but there's always something new popping up. Like what, what's your history with HubSpot? Yeah, so I've been working almost daily on HubSpot for the last seven to eight years. I have implemented a lot of HubSpot portals and I've been working both on agency and brand side. So before uh, co-founding Helium B2B, I was the head of marketing in Realisys, which is also a Danish SaaS company that IPO'd a year ago. Uh, and I was uh, the one in charge of implementing their whole HubSpot setup as well. So I've done it uh, quite a few times and I have a lot of clients who have been working on HubSpot for maybe two or three years before you know, signing on with Helion. And I've done a lot of data cleanup, a lot of data management, and I think I've almost seen it all by now. Mm. And when it comes to B2B SaaS, of course, many of those companies and, and, and people working in those companies, they're quite tech savvy. At least that's my feeling that a typically B2B SaaS, they are sort of early movers and they know <clears throat> technologies quite well. They're also keen on using technology. But what, what is typically a starting point when you get, let's say, a new customer, maybe they are new to HubSpot, it's B2B SaaS, and they start thinking how to build the HubSpot setup, especially when it comes to the CRM. So I, I would imagine that they have to start thinking about the, the data setup, like what are the objects they have, what are the properties they use, what are the workflows they want to build. But how do you typically start with a new customer, and um, especially when it comes to data management? Yeah, so it can go uh, two ways. So we can have uh, SaaS companies that are uh, moving away from old systems into HubSpot uh, or like really early SaaS companies where HubSpot is their first CRM system uh, ever. And then we can have SaaS companies that have been around for quite some years and have a lot of data in HubSpot and they need some help to clean up, get the right processes going, the right workflows uh, and so forth. But if we start with uh, the other part of the clients that we work with, uh, typically we go through uh, the data that they have had in the previous CRM. Um, so we look through things that we need to migrate, of course, and what is the quality of the data we need to migrate. We need to figure out what is needed to be migrated and how that translates into a HubSpot properties per se. Mm -hmm. And also, if we need to delete some records and stuff that we don't really need to migrate. So 
most often we look at context and see if do we have an email, do we have a phone number, do we have some kind of unique identifier that uh, mm. makes sense to move over uh, instead of just moving context without an actual um, you know, phone number or email to get in contact with or to use for nurture as well. Of course, we look into uh, how old the contacts are, when was the last activity and stuff uh, before migrating. Um, then we also look into, you know, properties in HubSpot. We need to uh, ensure that we have the best possible data environment. So we always um, talk about um, how can we translate um, the objects you have in your previous CRM to HubSpot properties. And also if we need to build custom properties, um, which custom properties to build. Um, so if a lot of the companies that we have been working with who has been on HubSpot for years, a lot of them, they do, you know, um, build a lot of custom properties. And sometimes they build uh, a custom property just because they needed it once. And mm. then they forget about it. And then it just make it really, really hard to filter on specific uh, information in the CRM system, right? So what we do is that like rule of thumb we only create custom properties if we're you know uh if they're needed uh, along in our sales process or in marketing and nurture and then we always look into okay so how do we solve for this problem so if it's like one specific data point we need so it's like maybe one out of a lot of different data points it can be like um which buyer persona it is then it won't be multiple buyer personas then we will do like a drop down select so yep. there is one answer to the question, like one hmm. specific answer for the property. And then, of course, we also look into multiple checkboxes if we need to check their web technology or yep. we need to check which product they have bought or something like that. So we try to stay away from text text fields if we're not working, you know, free text fields if we're not working with um, a third party data integration, because, of course, we need uh, text fields sometimes to uh, send that information in. Yep. But text fields can also be uh, it can give a lot of errors because people, they, you know, misspelling or yeah, it can be a lot of different things. Right. So um mm. Let's talk about custom properties more in a moment. I want to take a step back and ask, like, when you see a um, new B2B SaaS company, and they, let's say that they've been working with HubSpot, and you go in and you do that sort of audit um, where you review the situation, uh, how is it typically? Like, do you see that CRMs are in a very good shape data-wise, or do you typically feel that it's somewhat chaotic? And uh, if it is, like, what are the most common things? Are there those that you mentioned that contacts do not have emails or phone numbers, maybe contacts not associated with companies, maybe lots of duplicates? Like, how is the yeah. situation when you go in? So we've been around for a year and a half now. And as I said, I've been working with HubSpot almost for eight years. And I think that one or two times the last one and a half years finding Helion, I've seen one or two CRMs that was in a good shape. And the rest has been somewhat chaotic. Uh, and the things that we see is like you said, um, then we have a lot of contacts without uh, emails or phone numbers. We will have a lot of uh, companies, maybe because it has been, you know, imported in bulk without associated contacts. And that could be, you know, fair enough if you're using these companies for ABM campaigns or stuff like that. But it, they need to have a use case, right? Then we also see that we 
often have a lot of contacts that are um, unqualified or maybe like um, they should be life cycle stage other um, because it's internal, uh, you know, employees being SQLs and MQLs because they, you know, been downloading things on the website. And we see um, a lot of bounce contacts. If you haven't been on top of your email performance in HubSpot, you most often have a lot of globally bounced dead contacts. Um, we look into stuff like marketing contact, non-marketing contact. We look into if we have um, uh, consent to actually nurture them, if that is set up correct only on the forms. We can also see that a lot of the, you know, when doing the audits, uh, most often a lot of the companies that we work with, they create a new form every time they build a landing page or anything like that. And then again, it's just so hard to filter in the CRM on form submissions in workflows because you build something new every time you need it, right? Yep. So instead, you can build some global forms. You can say this is our um, this is the form that we use for webinars, and then you use that form every time. But you filter based on the landing page, or you filter based on um, you know when uh, in the the time frame that you are promoting this uh, webinar. Um, so there is a lot of things that you can do where you don't need to create more and more and more assets in the system becomes it just. It just keeps growing and you somehow you just, uh, you know, you, you, you can't really find anything because there is so much at the end. So a lot of it is about cleaning up, building based on best practices and, of course, making sure that we have the right automation set up uh, to actually also make sure that we have the right data. And that could also be required things on the pipelines. Um, if we need to make sure that before we send the contract, we have the VAT number, if we don't use um, third-party data to give us VAT number, because we need to send that information to accounting and so forth. Yep. So really trying to build all our processes uh, into the system. Yep. Um, and then regarding custom properties, I think most HubSpot uh, professionals understand and know the concept. But if we talk about company object, do you, you already mentioned that often like free text uh, custom properties maybe not good. And I, I get the point. It's very difficult to build lists, for example, based on that because people can write whatever they want. Uh, so it's not super useful compared to drop down menu. But what are some of the good examples like of custom properties, especially when it comes to company object in HubSpot? Yeah, so um, for example, we will have some use cases where we have a lot of different departments working in HubSpot, but we can only have one uh, owner, right? So we can have like an owner going from marketing to sales, maybe to uh, customer success. So sometimes we need to know who is the uh, success responsible or the project manager uh, besides the contact owner or company owner, which would most often be a salesperson, right? So that could be uh, one of the great use cases to have like, um, you can see who is also working on this uh, specific company or who is part of the specific team. Um, uh, some of the other things can be very specific to the product. So to your, your own product as a SaaS company, right? So we have a lot of different SaaS companies, of course, where we have integrated their whole platform uh, into HubSpot. So if they have a lot of freemium uses or they have free trial uses, and most often with the SaaS companies that I work with, we have uh, worked in some kind of a tier limit. So if we have like a freemium user, once they reach a certain tier of 
whatever usage of the product. So mm. if you are uh, translation software, let's see that in the freemium, you can use uh, 5,000 words for translation and then you need to pay. Um, then we will have that information shipped directly from the SaaS platform into uh, the, the, the company uh, page on HubSpot, right? So in that way, we can see, okay, how many words are being translated now? When was the last login date uh, for this company on our platform? And then we can start to build a lot of great automation, outreach automation, sequences and filtering uh, in the CRM based on, yeah, last login date, you know, free trial start, free trial trial ends, uh, all these different usage tiers that we work with is uh, is some of the most beneficial uh, custom properties that I we usually work with. Yeah, I think bringing, for SaaS companies, bringing product usage data, I think that's a really smart idea. And uh, let's talk about like lead scoring in a moment, because I would imagine those properties can be used there. Um, in terms of custom properties, um, yes, lots of things, lots, lots of properties regarding contacts. I can, I can see lots of use cases. For us, of course, we, when we integrate Bino with HubSpot, we actually automatically create custom objects, typically more specific industry data or web traffic data. So I think it, I also agree with your point that free text is not ideal. It has to be, or often it has to be some sort of um, single pick list or multi-select pick list because then building lists is easy to do based on based on that and also building automation based on that is easier but I know that you have been working a lot with your customers when it comes to lead scoring and I guess account scoring um, yeah. product data I guess is obvious but what are some of the properties you use or as attributes, I guess that's how it's built in, in HubSpot that you have some positive attributes, uh, and those are always properties, I guess. But uh, can you can you give us some some examples how your customers are building lead scoring yeah. models in HubSpot? Yeah, of course. So of course we we built um, our lead scoring framework based on the HubSpot properties, and of course also built for SaaS. So, of course, we look at some demographic data because we want to make sure that maybe we know the job title so we can see if it matches our ICP. Maybe yeah. we uh, we have built in our buyer personas into HubSpot and we want to make sure that if we know the buyer persona, well, that is already a re uh, quite good uh, knowledge uh, of if it's, again, matching the ICP or if it's a negative buyer persona, then we should maybe give them some negative scoring. Of course, we look at the email, we look at the phone number, um, but what is quite interesting is actually looking into like ICP data. So if you bring on a third party, actually like yourself, like Vainu, then you can start scoring on, you know, specific industry, you can start scoring on employee counts, you can score on web technologies. Uh, some uh, of these third party data vendors, you can also score on revenue. Um, so there is a lot of ICP data that you can feed directly into a HubSpot uh, and then you can score based on that. And I think that that is a really powerful use case for third-party data uh, to make sure that we actually uh, enrich the data we already have in HubSpot and then see, okay, does it match the, match the ICP or does it not match the ICP? So are, are you combining? So basically you have some contact properties. You mentioned job title. Make, make sense. And then... You can have company properties like 
industry data and technographics and, and employee count and revenue? Do you also combine that product data that you mentioned if they have connected their own product data, like the number of, for example, that yeah. translation company, how many words have they used, like when it's approaching that limit of 5,000? Like, do you use all of them to no, we- the final score or how, how does that work? Yeah, so what we do is that um, we always recommend to score a lot based on recency. So we score based on when was the last login date? Mm-hmm. Uh, has they been active? Have they been using the product, right? So like product last login date, um, we we used also, you know, last uh, website visit. We use um, also if we have like marketing consent, we can al- also look into if they engage with uh, our uh, emails. But what we do is that we also score based on, yeah, the product. So we can score based on, you know, if they started a freemium subscription and if they turned active. So if we can see that they actually started using some of uh you know, started filling up some of the uh, limits on the usage tiers, uh, we can see that they're active, right? And also if it's a SaaS company who both have like product to us or they have both a freemium, but the uh, the possibility to go into free trial mode to get the full experience and stuff like that, then we can also score based on starting free trials and so forth. But I think that one of the really important things to think about when scoring in HubSpot is actually using some of the possibilities to score based on recency and also to give negative scores. So if the last log product logged in date is more than like 15 days or 30 days based on the product, of course, is it everyday use or not? then we should most definitely also give some uh, negative points because essentially we want to use lead scoring for the leads that are becoming more and more warm and ready to be handed over to sales. And do you always score leads or do you also take sort of the account-based approach that you also score uh, companies? And then follow-up question, when, when these when these either leads, uh, either contacts or companies, when they hit a certain threshold, like do you just have one threshold and then they get sent over to sales? Or do you have like different thresholds that certain companies that get very high scores, sales will jump into them right away and the others will go into, I don't know, some sort of ABM campaign you keep nurturing them. Like how do you actually make it actionable? Yeah. Uh, that people actually take action based on the lead score. Yeah, it's a really good question. So actually, we build a lead score here in Helium that we call Radar Research and Revenue. And that's based on a point system going from zero to 75. Uh, And there is different owners and there is different definitions, of course. So if you're like between zero and 25 points, you will be a lead and you will be owned by marketing. And we will just, you know, let the marketing machine work on the leads because uh, maybe we would nurture them a bit with the newsletter. But it's kind of like an inactive stage because maybe we only have a permission, right? Then we, from 25 to 49, we will go into what we call radar, which means that these leads should be on our radar, uh, but they will still need some nurturing. So marketing will still be the owner, but maybe we will enroll them in some different lead nurturing flows. Maybe we will target them with specific product or feature ads because we are building audiences in HubSpot and feeding them to um, our campaign managers on LinkedIn or Meta or wherever we are um, using our uh, advertising money. Mm -hmm. 
And then, of course, we have the research part, which is 50 points to 74. And the owner here will most often be inside sales, meaning that um, we will start monitoring the leads. We will do research on who they are, how they got these points, and whether if we need to gather some additional information. So they should be matching our ICP now. And in HubSpot, mm -hmm. if you have like Sales Pro or Sales Enterprise, you will be able to do auto automated sequences. So um, for research leads, it will be quite nice to enroll them in um, these um, sequences and maybe um, trying to get them to start a free, free trial. You can build a free trial sequence, book meeting or whatever, uh, based on which SaaS product you have, right? And then um, 70 po 75 points and more will be revenue leads. So these will be leads who continue to show buying intent. And if they're not already uh, soon to be a customer or already as a customer, uh, then sales should most definitely be targeting them. So right here, we will see, is it a good fit? But they would be, you know, you would let sales work the magic on them uh, if you still have salespeople. But of course, if you're a product-led um, SaaS company, these will be the leads that are upgrading their um, subscriptions, right? Yeah, and that obviously is and sounds sophisticated and efficient. Like, what, what's your feeling about B2B SaaS companies using HubSpot? Like, are many of them already on that level that they have these three different segments like you just described and, and they have workflows in place and automation in place whenever you based on the based on the lead score for example or is this only for the sort of the most advanced users are already there like how, how advanced is the market at the moment yeah so i would say people that are really you know working with the life cycle stages scoring handing over leads automatically uh, using the scoring model with actual icp data product data as well they are quite advanced in their use of HubSpot and most often also the whole organization is using HubSpot from marketing to sales to service uh, because you have all the data points right there in the CRM system and you can see when they're ready to upgrade, uh, when they're ready to downgrade and so forth. Um, but most often a lot of them will be, uh, you can also be, you know, just running a good MRR and you just really want to, you know, do even better or, you know, actually get even more out of the leads that you have in your system and put it into process. So I think a lot of this is also revolving about processes and data management and getting the best out of the contacts you have in your system. And the more information we gather on uh, both contact and company level, the more data we can get from our actual uh, SaaS platform inside of HubSpot will make it much more easy for you to do uh, really advanced scoring, outreach, automation. Uh, and I think that, of course, you should not automate everything. Um, but if you have the data, you can automate almost everything. And what I see with the companies we work with, especially those really going 100% for product-led growth, uh, we are close to automating almost everything because we use so much of the data from their SaaS platform uh, yeah. to, to get the insights that we need. Yeah, I, I really like that concept of, of having the product data in, inside HubSpot. And yes, custom properties are needed for that. Um, lastly, one topic that I like to discuss, I mean, it's no secret, we're partners, you know that we're working on the similarity model so that we have 
um, technology to detect lookalikes. And I think lookalikes have been used have been used in B2C quite some time, and it's a very effective approach to build audiences. But now we we, we detect company lookalikes. What are your thoughts? Like, how should we make that available in HubSpot? Because there's, of course, we could just for each company, we could list that these are the top 20, top 100 lookalikes, or we could use these uh, in-app HubSpot CRM cards so that we could display that, hey, here we have lookalikes. Do you want to create these companies into your HubSpot, all of them at the same time or one by one? We could also build workflows so that whenever a deal goes into closed one states, that would be the moment when we congratulate and say that, hey, do you want to actually use the same approach and go after uh, these lookalikes? But what are your thoughts? What would be what would make the biggest impact for that type of data? Lookalike audience when it comes to companies. Yeah, I think that the way to make it most actionable, right, is 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 definitely with the cards in the CRM. So <laughs> if I close a deal on this specific, uh, let's say, uh, payment solution vendor, um, <laughs> I would love for HubSpot to showcase me like there is 10 others, uh, you know, in the same industry, in the same market where the uh, website uh, has a lot of similarities, maybe you should go after them. But not only, you know, just create them as a company and then they will maybe just, you know, be stuck in the CRM. But I think it's very powerful to be able to create them and then move them to the ABM tool in HubSpot. Because if you're really utilizing the ABM tool in HubSpot, you can start doing actual account-based uh, outreach on these, but you can also feed it um, directly again back to ads audiences through HubSpot and then you can actually start doing awareness campaigns maybe you will at some point get a really nice case uh, for the um, company that you just uh, won and then you can mm -hmm. also do outreach there but let's play with the thought about uh, doing case-based ABM then you could actually in your CRM uh, do um, segmentation based on all your customers and then you can get all the cards right based on industry and then you can do very specific uh, ABM, campa ABM campaigns based on your cases because you have all the data right there in CRM system. Yeah, one thing regarding case studies, like whenever you have a case study, of course, most likely the best possible audience for that case study is the lookalike audience because that most likely resonates quite well with them. Exactly. So I think that there's a powerful tool for pitching, of course, to new uh, customers based on a closed deal. But mm. I see it, see it as being very powerful to actually see the lookalikes on your customers. Because most often you would love to have lookalikes on customers maybe that has been with you for quite some time and you know that it's a good fit solution because they have mm. been onboarded. They're using the product. They're not churning, right? So so that is really great data to have for um, doing outreach or even ABM campaigns on paid, paid media. Yeah, and I think, I mean, some companies, of course, already have operations hub um, in, in place. And there's some interesting features in that that you can use to look at your data quality. But I think regarding the similarity, we've been working on clustering so that we could look at the whole CRM data and, and then, of course, all the existing customers or cases that have that that status or closed one uh, deal, and then creating clusters so that we would see that, hey, we actually seem to have this fintech cluster or payment cluster, like you said. And then, then the question is that maybe we should 
start delivering lookalikes for that cluster and place them in the ABM ABM campaigns. Um, yeah. ABM tool. What, what do you mean by that? Uh, as a term, I know that there's lots of ABM features in HubSpot, but you mentioned it as an ABM tool. Can you quickly? Describe what, what it yeah, means. So, so in HubSpot, if you navigate to uh, contacts and companies, so the actual CRM part of HubSpot, you will have the possibility of using their account based uh, management tool. Um, and often you need to click on it and then you need to like enable it. So it's not, it's not just, uh, not just lying there. You need to enable it, but then you will actually be able to filter an industry. You can set a mark that they are a target account. So if you enable this feature in HubSpot, you will get a property saying target account. Yes, no, as a dropdown mm -hmm. and all the accounts that you add to yes, will be shown in that tool. And then again, you can filter on specific industries and so forth and then you can start assigning them to uh, specific owners and you can uh, map out who is the budget holder who is the negative influence who is the positive influence who is the decision maker you can uh, and the abm2 will also lock uh, deals they will lock um, emails meetings and so forth so it's a really great overview tool to see how are we progressing on our target accounts um, and it can also be when you start the new year, right? We only just started 2023 and maybe you have a business goal of reaching like top 5% of a specific industry. You can put them in as target accounts and then you can see throughout the year how you're progressing. So um, again, if you haven't worked with that tool, I think you should enable it and start snooping a bit around. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Lastly, I mean, we have lots of HubSpot people in the audience. Um, if they want to get in touch with you, if they feel that they want to have, if they need help with HubSpot, or maybe they just want somebody to do a quick audit on them, like, I guess the best way to get in touch with you is, is LinkedIn, right? But do you do you provide some sort of free audit? Or is it is it more like that it's a discovery meeting where you discuss that? Like, how, how, how can companies, HubSpot users engage with Helion B2B? Yeah, so actually we have, you can do it in quite some different ways. So actually we're leading um, a HubSpot user group, group, group sorry, uh, for SaaS companies in the Nordics and everything is in English. And right now it's mostly online because uh, it's for everyone in the Nordics. But here we're discussing four times a year, so every, every once a quarter, uh, specific HubSpot use cases for SaaS. We have our customers showcasing uh, specific things that we build. The last one I did was specifically on our uh, Radar Research Revenue Lead Scoring Model for SaaS as well. So it's very hands-on. So that is one way you can engage with us. Um, and then, of course, we do, as you said before, discovery meetings. So if you have specific questions for HubSpot use cases, want to get in touch in terms of doing an audit or something like this, like that, of course, we are more than happy to do so. Yeah. And how, how can people find that B2B SaaS Nordic user group? Um, yeah, so HubSpot has like a page for all uh, HubSpot user groups. And if you type in Nordic SaaS, it will come. It's the only one. <laughs> so uh, it will be there and then you can subscribe to it and you will start getting, um, you know, invitations when we do our uh, next uh, sessions. So um, that's, that's the way to go about that. So now we have lots of very concrete, actionable takeaways. People need to check out that user group and also, of course, also the ABM tool you mentioned. And I guess also to do an audit on on the data data setup they have in HubSpot and, and maybe review how they use custom properties. And if if 
if the lead scoring is in line with business goals. Thanks a lot, Lotte, for being part of the podcast. And um, and uh, I hope every everyone listening to the podcast will have an awesome, awesome rest of the day. Thank you.